Welcome to JPC Live, uh, the live stream of Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. If you would, grab your Bible and open up to the Gospel of John. Uh, if you've been with us over the last few months, you'll know that we're going through uh, sort of verse by verse through the Gospel of John. And uh, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we're also uh, looking at John chapter 11, uh, especially over the last two or three weeks. And it's been pretty profound uh, how meaningful uh, the message of John 11 has been. So if you aren't already subscribing to our podcast, uh, I really would encourage you to go and download our podcast and catch up on the last couple of sermons about John 11. Uh, and so with that, uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at really the whole chapter of John 11. Uh, but before we uh, read, uh, so you can be, be seated if you're seated at home right now for the scripture reading. Uh, if you're seated at home... Um, I want to ask you a question, and it's a pretty simple question, but I think it'll help us frame uh, our life right now. And it's just simply this, things certainly are different now, aren't they? Things are certainly different, aren't they? Well, school's out, so if the kids are watching, I'm sure you guys are bored out of your minds and driving your parents crazy. Uh, if you're a teenager at home uh, watching this, guys, I uh, know that um, some of your stuff is online and virtual, but I know there's a big loss uh, in many of you not being able uh, to see your friends and concern that maybe you'll be missing out on graduation and things. Uh, if you're a parent right now, I'm sure you're a bit stressed just trying to keep it all together. Uh, you know, my wife and I homeschool, so, you know, if you need help, apparently that's gone mainstream in the last couple of weeks, so you can always ask my wife Caroline for advice. Uh, but I know that's stressful if you're a parent. Uh, if you're a high-risk person uh, or if you have a close family friend or spouse or child who's a high-risk person, uh, which I would imagine includes everybody listening right now, I know that that is weighing on you immensely. If you're a medical professional, uh, you're probably already working on wills and talking about life insurance. And uh, it may be very possible that you're already experiencing pre-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, if you're elderly at home, I know you're worried. If you're single, if you're a widow or a widower, uh, I know that the social distancing may be rubbing salt on a wound that uh, continues to bother you, uh, making you feel left out or forgotten or you don't have a place. And so now social distancing is just reminding of you of that every day. And of course, if you're a small business owner, uh, if you work at a restaurant, or if you are employed in any possible way of employment, uh, I know you're worried about your job. So things certainly are different, aren't they? Uh, remember, though, remember the good old days? You know, remember the good old days like two weeks ago when the only thing that was stressing us out was daylight savings? Sometimes I miss the good old days. Um, but at the same time, uh, yes, things are certainly different. But friends, uh, church, what I want us to realize, what I need you to embrace, and the sooner the better for your family, is that God intends for us to change through this, and after this. And there is going to be a new kind of different after this for all of us. And I mean that new kind of different for you as an individual, whether you're a kid or a teenager or an adult. Uh, there's going to be a new kind of different for our church. You're experiencing part of that right now. And there's going to be a new kind of different for the whole planet right now. 
And uh, normally that would be uh, preacherly hyperbole, uh, but unfortunately it's not. Uh, But friends, what I want to remind you of is that the God of hope is still on the throne. And with that in mind, I want you to realize that what God intends for you and me is so that you and I will come out of this in a new kind of different, in a new different way. And uh, I I don't want it to be lost on you. And maybe this hasn't struck you yet, uh, but I don't want it to be lost on you that right now what we're witnessing is that every one of our idols, you know, idols are just good things that we make ultimate things. Um, Right now, we are literally watching all of our idols being smashed to bits. Uh, You know, the power cord that has been plugging in all of our idols has been yanked from the socket. (laughs) I mean, if you think about it, um, all of our security and our wealth is gone. All of our pride in our wealth is gone. All of our pride in getting to do things like fly to exotic places, they're just gone right now. Um, Our our addiction to endless entertainment... (laughs) It's gone right now. And our obsession with sports even, and I'll be the first one to admit an obsession with sports, they're all unplugged. And we don't know when they're going to get plugged back in, now do we? Or to think about it a different way, they've all been thrown in the trash can. And are we going to reach back in one day? So what I want to suggest to you, friends and individuals and families, is that God intends for you and me and for our families and particularly for our church, for us to come out of this in a new, different way. And the way we're going to learn about how we come out of this in a new, different way is we're going to turn to our only source of truth, our only infallible rule for faith and life, from the inerrant, inspired Word of God. And we believe every word of this comes and proceeds from the mouth of God, Not only does the Bible claim that, it's also what Jesus believed himself. Remember, on the cross, what Jesus says is he quotes scripture. It's the first thing that comes to him when he's tempted in the wilderness, and it's the last things that come to mind when he's on the cross. Uh, So with that in mind, I'm going to encourage you now to open up to John chapter 11. If you're at home, please stand for the reading of God's word. And we're going to learn how John 11 teaches us to live in this new, different way. Uh, the Jesus way. So with that in mind, let's read John 11. We're going to read a big chunk of this passage, so, you know, standing up is good for you, so keep that in mind. This is John chapter 11. We're going to read through verse uh, 53. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness doesn't lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
After saying these things, he said to them, our, Laz- our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to Jesus, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher's here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her saw her in the house, consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. 
And not only for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated and keep that Bible open in front of you. So we just, uh, well, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, as we study your word and as we read it, uh, Father, help each one of us to embrace this new kind of different. Uh, Lord, would we be like soft clay? And Lord, would you be the potter? Would you form and fashion us into the image of your beloved son who died for us and was raised to new life so that we may live in him. Father, we are ready. Amen. Uh, So this morning I'm suggesting to you that uh, what you and I are facing right now is a new kind of different. Uh, We're going to change through this. You're going to change through this. Your family is going to change through this. Uh, Our church is going to change through this. The Rogue Valley is going to change through this. Our country, and in fact, our whole world is going to change. Uh, But the question is, is as we change through this, um, how is God using this to make us into the people that he intended us to be? Um, In this passage, we learn all kinds of things about our God, uh, the only true God, uh, Jesus Christ, who is God's Son, our Lord. And we learn what God is up to in this world. And so earlier this week, I invited you not to ask, you know, necessarily always, what is the virus up to these days? But to be thinking, what is God up to these days? And part of the answer to that question, friends, is what God is up to is forming you and me into a new kind of different. And it's a good thing. So the first way you and I are going to change and that we see all throughout this passage in front of us is that when Jesus uh, comes into our life, when we encounter Jesus, we have a totally new kind of belief. I mean, you see that right there in verse 14 and 15. Look in your lap. You know, of course, Lazarus is sick, but Jesus waits two days, and so Lazarus is dead, and Jesus, uh, he talks to his disciples, and he says, well, you know, now let's go. But the disciples don't really understand that because where Lazarus is, people were just then trying to stone him to death. So the disciples are saying, why are we going to go back to where we maybe would die? And after all, if Lazarus is just sleeping, as you say, isn't he going to be okay? Well, notice how Jesus explains the purpose of this entire story. Um, Why out of only 21 chapters does John devote an entire chapter to this one story? We start to see what God is up to right there in verse 14 and 15. It says, Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's taking a tragedy, uh, the death of Lazarus. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, even this hard providence... Um, this hard thing in life, I am going to use for a specific purpose. And that purpose is so that you may experience a new kind of belief. And the amazing thing, of course, is who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the disciples. 
He's talking to the 12 men who are supposed to carry the gospel uh, throughout the entire world when he has ascended into heaven. And these people are being told that they need to grow in their belief and that God is using a tragedy, difficult providence, in order to grow their belief. And it's not just the disciples who need to grow in their belief. It's also Mary and Martha. And it's also, of course, the entire crowds. I don't know if you noticed that, but there's all kind of uh, nameless people all sort of in the periphery, the, the background, if you will, uh, to this story. Um, it's the Jews. It's the people who uh, are around Mary and Martha who are watching them weep, who look at Jesus and say, why didn't he raise him from, the, why didn't he heal him? What, what is he doing? And even there, when Jesus finally does raise Lazarus back from the dead, now what does he say? Well, remember, Jesus prays out loud, and Jesus prays not with his head bowed down. I don't know if you noticed it, Jesus does what? He lifts up his eyes to heaven. And right there in verses 41 and following, he says this. This is his prayer. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me, that they may what? That they may believe that you sent me. You see, friends, everybody in this story, as they encounter Jesus, whether they've known Jesus before this event or whether they're just now being introduced to who Jesus is, they're all being told and they're all being taught by Jesus to grow in their belief. The disciples, Mary and Martha, even these crowds, when Jesus prays, he prays out loud so that they would believe. So what does that mean for you this morning if you follow Jesus, if you love him, if you've given your life to him, if you've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? If you're a Christian this morning, what does it mean for you to grow in your belief? Well, I think it's right there in that statement that Thomas makes, right? Uh, we start to see the beginning of what it means to grow in our belief. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, we kind of joked about whether or not Thomas is sarcastic. Uh, but what makes jokes so funny and sarcasm so funny is often that there's a lot of truth in them. The truth is kind of what makes it funny, right? And so what Thomas says in verse 16 is when Jesus says, let's go back to Judea, Thomas starts to show his profound belief in Jesus. He's growing in his belief when he says, well, if this is what Jesus is calling us to do, we might as well go with him. Let us go with Jesus so that if he dies, we can die with him. So another way you could explain that is if you're a Christian this morning, in the days and the weeks and the months to come, you and I need to grow more courageous, more bold. And that's very, very difficult uh, because not only are there financial repercussions, uh, many of us are concerned about death itself. Uh, whether you work in the medical field or you have a high-risk person so or someone in your family uh, who is susceptible uh, or you're just watching the news, um, this isn't just about financial concerns. This is about life and death. Uh, but friends, don't let it be lost on you that that's what this passage is about. For Thomas, this is a life or death decision whether to follow Jesus or not. And if church history is to be trusted, eventually Thomas will die for Jesus. And in fact, Lazarus dies in this story. And what Jesus is saying 
is he's saying he's allowing this situation to happen in part, not in total, but in part, so that his people would believe more. Even the fear of death is not to get to you, Christian. I mean, what does Jesus say? He says it right there in verse 25. Some of the most promising words, Christian, for us to grow in our belief of are in John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus says these words. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Friends, it wasn't lost on Jesus that the question he most wants to ask to you and me is, do you believe this? And remember, he's talking to Martha, who does believe this. So you see what Jesus is doing is he's looking at his people in the midst of tragedy and challenging them. Uh, He is calling them by name to grow in their belief so that even the fear of death has no sting for a Christian. So if you're a Christian in the room, I think that's the first application you need to make is that you and I are to live in a way that we do not fear death. Oh, death, where is your sting? But what about people who don't know where they stand with the Lord? Well, I I think it's abundantly clear that all over this passage, Jesus is revealing who he is. Uh, He calls himself the Son of God. Uh, He says he is the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in him, even though if they die, they shall live forever. So if you're unsure where you stand with Jesus, or you haven't been baptized, or you, you haven't confessed him as Lord, or you're not living with him, part of your call this morning is to believe the gospel, to recognize that Jesus died for your sins. He came back from the dead three days later to prove to you that you will never have to fear death. And even if you die in this life, you're never really dead because you'll live with him forever. And the proof is that he came back from the dead. Now, friends, are you starting to see that just as it was for Mary and Martha and the disciples and even these crowds, that God was using the tragedy in this story to grow their belief? Friends, do you have ears to hear that this morning? Even death is not to make us afraid. So that's the first thing I want us to see. The second thing I want us to see out of all this is that you and I, are supposed to be growing a new kind, a a different kind of a relationship. And what I mean by that is we're supposed to grow a new kind of relationship with God. And all over the Bible, it's suggested to us and commanded of us and encouraging us to understand that the God of the universe, uh, the God who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the real God who made you and me, who made your toenails and your lungs and your hair and your family medical history, <laughs> that God wants to have a relationship with you. Um, but usually the Bible doesn't say the word relationship. What it'll say is it'll say we are supposed to know God. We are supposed to know him and be known by him. And so part of knowing God Part of having a relationship with him is starting to understand what in the world is God up to? (laughs) 
I mean, aren't you asking yourself that question right now? What in the world, God, are you up to? Uh, Well, friends, that same question has been asked throughout history, regardless of the circumstances. Um, All it takes is one individual person to have a crisis, to have that question. And that's exactly the question all over John 11. That's Mary and Martha's question. Lord, what are you doing? If you had been here, you could have kept our brother from dying. That's what the crowds are saying. Well, the guy who opened the eyes of the blind man, why didn't he heal this man? God, what in the world are you up to? Well, Jesus starts to answer that question. And if you want a relationship with God, if you want to know him, you can actually find the answer. And the answer is right there in John 11. And what God is up to is he has sent his son into the world. Uh, God who created everything, who is miraculously one God, yet somehow three persons, has sent God the son into the world. Not so that he could condemn the world, but so that he could save the world. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says we're supposed to see. Look back at verse 42. I knew that you always hear me, Father, but I said this on account of the people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. See, Jesus is saying God has sent his son so that people would believe in him. And then did you notice that at the end of the story, um, there are some people who just can't stand Jesus. Uh, you know, they're, they're the bad guys, if you will. They're the Pharisees, the power brokers. And the, the chief among them, a guy named Caiaphas, um, even though he has a position of religious authority, doesn't actually know God. But even though he doesn't know him, he still speaks the truth, although not in the way that he intends it. Um, the irony right there starts in verse 49. You know, he looks at these other power brokers as they discuss how to stop Jesus, and he says, you guys know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for one man to die than the whole people. You see, and then John tells us, yeah, he said that, not because he believed in Jesus, but because he was high priest, and God was even using this man to prophesy to the truth. And then John goes on and he says, what God is up to is God is not just going to deliver his people Israel. He's going to bring all of his people throughout the entire globe, all those called by his name who believe in Jesus, into a new family. Did you catch that? It's in verse 52. John tells us that Jesus' mission is not only for the nation of Israel only, but also to gather into one people, into one, the children of God, who are scattered abroad. So friends, when I suggest to you that you and I are supposed to grow into a new relationship with God, part of the answer uh, is is not asking, um, what is the virus up to? Or what am I supposed to be doing right now? Uh, Part of the answer is saying, well, what is God up to? What is God's goal? And what is his mission? And part of our opportunity right now, as all of our idols have been, you know, dumped into the trash bin for the foreseeable future, is this is an opportunity for us to turn away from the idols. Remember, they're good things that may have become our ultimate things. To turn away from our idols and grow closer to God. Um, If if God sets a tuning fork, right, um, our job now is to tap ours 
so that we match his melody and his rhythm and his frequency. And it's amazing when you spend time with somebody how their worldview, their perceptions, their uh, sense of justice, their likes and dislikes, they can often sort of become yours almost by osmosis. And if you're a Christian, part of what we've been given right now is an opportunity to turn from our idols and grow a stronger relationship with God so that our goals are not to get back on the planes to the exotic places and to consume sports the same way and to turn to wealth the same way as soon as we possibly can. But what if God's using this moment, giving us an opportunity to match his goals, to let his fingerprints press in a little bit more into our clay? What if the potter has just poured a bunch of water on you and me so that we can be formed and fashioned in a new kind of different way? And it's amazing if you make that commitment, if you embrace that change, um, when you make a relationship with God, it spills over into all of your other relationships, right? I mean, it shouldn't be lost on you that Jesus is not just dealing with one man, but also his sisters and also their whole community. And what I'm suggesting to you, friends, is that if you make that commitment to use this as an opportunity to grow in your relationship with God, that relationship is going to spill over to your family and to your friends and to your whole community. That may be what God is doing right now. Friends, this is an opportunity to grow uh, not just new belief, but a new relationship with God. Let me just finish with this. My last point is that I think God is uh, reminding us to embrace a new kind of purpose, a new kind of purpose. You know, one of my favorite uh, things I've ever studied is the Westminster Confession and the Westminster Catechisms. And the first question really gets to this question, what's the whole purpose of life? You know, is it to go traveling, to consume as much sports and media and entertainment as possible? Is that the chief end of a person, uh, to be entertained until the end? Or is there something more? Well, the Westminster Catechism asked that question. What is man's chief end? <laughs> What's our purpose? You remember what the answer is? If you don't know it, I'll tell it to you. Man's chief end, his purpose, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our main purpose in this life is to glorify God and enjoy him, have a relationship with him, believe him, uh, face death without any fear, uh, to face anything without any fear, uh, to enjoy his relationship. Um, part of what it means to be a Christian is when you believe in him, um, you will automatically, by the power of the Holy Spirit, grow a distaste for idolatry. Uh, it'll taste sour, what used to taste sweet. And what used to taste sour may actually end up tasting wonderful. You may actually taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, so friends, uh, when you think about your life, uh, when you talk about it with your family, when you make plans, uh, reorient around what is the chief purpose of your life and your family and your business. Now, friends, this is an opportunity to reassess what our chief end is. And of course, that's exactly how Jesus 
saw his own life. And that's exactly what empowers Jesus to know what to do. Because his chief end is to do what? (laughs) I mean, Jesus says it right there in verse 4. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. And in just a few chapters later, Jesus will say to his Father, Father, be glorified in me. And when he says that, what he means is, it's time for me to die on the cross. You see, Jesus' goal, his purpose, was to go to the cross for us. And like Lazarus in this story, like Lazarus, Jesus is also going to die. And like Lazarus, God's not going to intervene and keep him from dying. And like Lazarus, Jesus is going to get placed in a tomb. And like Lazarus, they're going to roll a stone in front of it. And like Lazarus, Jesus is going to come back from the dead. But friends, you see, the difference, though, is that unlike Lazarus, Jesus is going to die not because he gets sick, not because he gets ill. Jesus is going to die to take the punishment for all of our sins. He's going to take the punishment that Lazarus deserved, and he's going to take it upon himself. And unlike Lazarus, Jesus has the power himself to come back from the dead because he's God in human form. He is God among us. You see, and Jesus does this. Jesus does all of this for two very specific reasons. Jesus does this to show that God is just, that he is not okay with sin, that he is not okay with injustice. God will punish injustice and sin and unrighteousness. Uh, God is not aloof. He is not distant from the wrongs in this world. Uh, God will punish it. But amazingly, as sure as God is holy and hates injustice as much and more than you do, God is also exceedingly merciful and gracious and forgiving in ways that you can never, ever, ever imagine. And you see, at the cross, God is proven to be both just because he punishes sin, but he also proves himself merciful and gracious because he takes the punishment for us. He was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our sins. And upon him on the cross was the punishment that we deserved. And by his wounds, we are healed. As Paul will say on the cross, God is both just and the justifier of those who believe in him. You see, friends, when that truth uh, starts to burrow its way into you, when you actually see what God is up to in Jesus Christ on the cross, raised to life, when that truth of the gospel starts to work itself out and you realize all you have to do is believe and not earn it, when you realize that, it works its way throughout every area of your life and you become a new, kind of different person. You become the kind of person that's courageous, even in the face of death. You become the kind of person that's defined not by their idols, not by their wealth or their pride or their sports team, as good as those things are, 
You become a person that's defined by grace because you know what Jesus did for you. You become the kind of person who knows that idols really do taste sour. And you become a kind of person who knows what their chief end in life is, which is to glorify God no matter what. If I live, praise God. And if I die, praise God. Death is just a door that Jesus opens for me. And I walk right through. Friends, it's, it's time for a new kind of different. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are on the throne, that you are the God of hope. Uh, Lord, that uh, we can have a new kind of different way of life. Uh, so this morning we pray that everyone who's hearing this, Lord, that they uh, would grow in their belief in you, that they would have a relationship with you, and they would see uh, what you are doing, and that we would come out the way that you have formed us. Uh, Jesus, we need you. Amen.